It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. Coming up on episode number 91 of the Night Talker, I'm taking a break from my usual shenanigans for an hour-long conversation with Paul Wadlington of Inside Texas and the On Texas Football YouTube channel about his excellent annual Longhorn Football Preview Guide, Thinking Texas Football, which is out now. I am Trey Elling. Give me a follow on Twitter at Courtesy Wave and do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027 ESPN. Paul Wadlington is a longtime contributor for Inside Texas and InsideTexas.com, as well as their On Texas Football YouTube channel. And each year he puts out what I consider to be the best Longhorn football preseason guide that breaks down every individual on the roster, position groups, of course, opponents on the Longhorn schedule, and even gets into some general college football chatter. And we're going to do all of that over the course of the next hour. With Paul, by the way, you can get his Thinking Texas Football Guide, a physical copy through Amazon, or you can go through Apple Books or Smashwords for the digital version. Paul, thank you so much for the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. What's going on, Trey? Oh, not a lot. Just uh, sweating through another Texas summer. This one does seem a little bit worse than most, but I'm excited because when this actually airs on my radio show before it's released the next day on the podcast, I will be in your part of the world uh, resting and relaxing in the mountains of Colorado. Well, Trey, I can offer you highs in the low, in the low 80s, high 70s, clear blue skies, and then a late afternoon thunderstorm probably with large hail about half the size of a golf ball that will destroy your car. Oh so God. take your choice between humidity in Texas and Colorado uh, for throwing rocks from at you from the sky. It is part of the cycle of life, as is the case for every football season. And we are currently in the season of optimism, Paul. And uh, Texas fans are never immune from this. Now, it's not always that we hear the head coach and the players speaking as optimistically as we're hearing from Steve Sarkeesian and his players right now. And this goes back several months, even prior to spring practice. Are you buying that sense of optimism from Steve Sarkeesian right now? Are you seeing a path to perhaps a regular season championship in this conference in their final year in the Big 12 and an appearance in the conference title game too? I am. I think that optimism is founded on objective and empirical reality. I've been analyzing Texas sports for a long time. I've written previews for 11 years now. And typically my previews are a little bit of a dowsing on the optimistic fire. This preview is going to be kerosene on that fire because every objective and empirical metric that I look at, that I examine, tells me that Texas is the clear favorite to win the Big 12 and is a legitimate playoff contender. Is there a most important metric on both the offensive and defensive side of the ball to you right now? You can get caught up when you look at statistics too often in lagging indicators when you probably need to look at leading indicators and what you know about development cycles, what you know about how certain positions develop and how certain positions interlock and interplay. It's an overused tech word that I picked up in my my West Coast sojourn, but Uh, There is such a thing as synergy. And when you substantially improve your offensive line, your quarterback and your wide receiver groups on offense, and you bring effectively a lot of really, really good players back on defense, you don't just get the additive benefit of that individual player. You get that additive benefit of each individual player interlocking with the additive benefit of another player that's complementary, And suddenly you get 
not quite one plus one equals three, but one plus one equals 2.25. If you could do that in enough positions, you will elevate. You know, Texas was pretty close last year. I mean, if, if you look at it, binary wins and losses, there's an eight and five football team. Unremarkable. If you look at it from a larger macro perspective and you don't view the results as purely binary W and L, it was a top 10 football team from most efficiency metrics. And I know people hear that and they can't believe it, but Texas lost five games by a grand total of 25 points. You only need fairly moderate improvements across multiple units to not just go from eight to five to 10 and three. You can go from eight from five to an 11 or 12 win team. Well, the reality with last year too, is if they had just gotten mediocre play out of the quarterback position, they probably would have been playing in that big 12 championship game. I think that's absolutely fair. Now the quarterback is the reservoir of a lot of other aspects of the offense. You know, we didn't have a wide receiver number three. We didn't have an experienced offensive line. We were starting three first year starters on the offensive line, two of them true freshmen, one of them a true sophomore. That's not a good sign of a healthy program. Mm. And then we were effectively starting a true freshman quarterback. And if people want to say Quinn Ewers picked up a lot of experience from his ill-fated adventure in Columbus at Ohio State when he should have been a senior at South Lake Carroll High, I don't think that was beneficial to him in any way in his development. And I think last year, I think he actually, as up and down as he was, I think he showed the things that you wanted to see And then I think the things that need to be cleaned up are fairly obvious. And if you study quarterback trajectories, if you study quarterback improvement, particularly with a good tutor like Steve Sarkeesian and A.J. Milwee, the things that he's going to clean up are fairly obvious. And I think you can project him to be much better. Yeah, and that really started in the bowl game last year where it looked like he had shed something like 10 to 15 pounds and his play showed. And Thankfully for Longhorn fans, he seems to have maintained that focus throughout the offseason when oftentimes guys uh, find themselves uh, letting it go just a little bit. We've got picture, uh, pic, uh, photographic evidence, I guess, of uh, Quinn still taking great care of himself. We saw yeah. things progress throughout spring practices, and we've heard stories that uh, you guys have done a great job of reporting at Inside Texas and on Texas football of him exhibiting more in the way of vocal leadership as well. I uh, sat across from him and talked to him for a good 10 to 15 minutes of Big 12 media days. Not only does he still look the part, which is great, but you can see that quiet confidence beginning to grow as well. Do you think that we see a breakout campaign from Quinn this year in a way that uh, perhaps sees him going to the NFL once the season is over with? Yeah, God forbid, if if he can avoid injury or, yeah. or key injuries at other positions. It would have to be actually several because Texas has pretty good depth. I think he's going to have a big breakout year. As for the NFL, I mean, that's really for others to judge. Uh, we'll see. You know, the NFL is always going to overdraft potential at the quarterback position. Uh, you saw that with the last draft. <laughs> uh, and they probably should have waited for this draft if they wanted the real goods on quarterbacks. But that's probably another tangent for us. But, yeah, we'll see what happens. What I'm concerned about is what he does for Texas in 2023. Yeah. And I think he's going to improve substantially at quarterback. And I think that's going to be reflected – not just subjectively, but I think it's going to be reflected objectively in his statistics and his numbers. You know, he's going to pass for over 3,000 yards if he's healthy. He's going to throw more than 25 touchdowns. He's going to keep his interceptions down. Um, and I think he's going to be an effective quarterback. Is it as simple as him just doing a better job of going through his progressions and not locking on to any one receiver? Obviously, Xavier Worthy being the best example from last year. Yeah, it, it could be. You know, I think 
it's it's multifactorial. Uh, Xavier Worthy was locked on because there was only only one other wide receiver that was an option in Jordan Whittington. And then, of course, Jatavian Sanders. That was more the underneath game. If Texas wanted to to get the ball down the field, they had to throw it to a 162-pound guy who's not cast as an X receiver. And, you know, this was not a good fit, not only in terms of Ewers, because he wasn't a play-action quarterback in high school. He's got spread DNA, right? Uh, and Xavier Worthy was pressed into duty that he was not well-served by. And also he had broke his hand. That I, I hear that if you break your hand, you don't catch the ball quite as well. So that probably influenced a little bit with the influx of talent at wide receiver with another year of growth at, on the offensive line. I think yours is going to be a big beneficiary of that. And I think Texas is going to play a lot more spread type football. Uh, we saw a little bit of a preview of, of that in the Washington Husky Alamo bowl game. Now imagine that preview, but instead of Casey Kane, it's AD Mitchell. Hmm. And if it's four wide, you've got Isaiah Nayor out there who we've all forgotten about. He was last year's AD Mitchell. Uh, I just think that this group is leveling up in a considerable way. And I know Texas fans have been hurt have been hurt in the past and they don't want to love again. But I think you could be more than just cautiously optimistic about this football team. He is Paul Wadlington of Inside Texas and the On Texas Football YouTube channel. We are talking about his excellent Longhorn football season preview guide. It's something he does annually. It's called Thinking Texas Football. Get the hard copy through Amazon or digitally. You can acquire it through Apple Books or Smashwords. Coming up, we're going to get into some of the other positions on the Longhorn offense. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. Back with Paul Wadlington of Inside Texas and the On Texas Football YouTube channel. We are talking about his annual Longhorn Football Preview Guide, Thinking Texas Football. It is the best around. You can acquire a copy, either a physical copy through Amazon or a digital digital copy through Apple Books or Smashwords. Is the biggest question for you on the offensive side of the ball, what is happening in the running back room? And if so, what do you think that answer is? I actually don't think that's the biggest question for the offense's ultimate upside. Uh, However, it is a question. The good news is it's a question with some answers. And sometimes in the recent decade, we've had some questions and I've had some questions that Texas did not have answers for. And uh, I think they do have some answers. I think I think they're going to have a good player in Jonathan Brooks. I like Keelan Robinson as a changeup guy. He caught 20 balls for 219 yards last year for three touchdowns. That was a big rise for Keelan Robinson and his growth as a pass catcher. That's going to be big. Jonathan Brooks, you know, in limited action, kind of got a little fan club. You know, he's like that little indie band that you discover before everyone else. I kind of feel that way about Jonathan Brooks. He's, he's a weird runner in that he's both a slasher and a glider. Usually those two things aren't combined. And forgive me for invoking, you know, godlike mode comparisons here. But the last guy I remember like that was Marcus Allen. Hmm. You know, very smooth, but also a slasher. And never seemed to be running very hard, but he's getting distance from the people chasing him. That's Jonathan Brooks. I'm not saying he's Marcus Allen, but I think he's a good, capable player. And then you've got this freshman uh, phenom coming in, C.J. Baxter, who his best football is definitely ahead of him. They're going to integrate him in a little bit more slowly. 
But I think ultimately he's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Believe me when I tell you, Deep Blue Something is going to be bigger than the Rolling Stones at some point. But as far as Jonathan <laughs> Brooks is concerned, you know, obviously you have to start somewhere, especially when you're you're receiving carries behind Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson last season. But he showed against that backup competition against teams that Texas was beating handily that he at least has some potential. But then the proof was also in the pudding in that Alamo Bowl loss too, where he looked really good and did give fans some cause for optimism. As far as Baxter is concerned, do you think he's going to be taking Brooks's backup carries on first and second down when they are giving Jonathan a break during the season? That's a great question, Trey. The interesting thing is the multitude of options. Even a guy like blue or one of the other primary colors and red might emerge. I well think done there. You're going to have a lot of other options. I think the question is what can CJ Baxter handle? Yeah. Is first and foremost, Texas added some real dudes outside at the wide receiver position. And they've got Jatavian Sanders at tight end, and they want to keep Quinn Ewers upright. So if you're a running back and you're not clear about your pass blocking assignment, or if you're, frankly, not very developed as a pass protector, you're not going to get on the field in critical conditions. You're probably not going to be out there at third and nine in Tuscaloosa in the third quarter in a tied football game. So C.J. Baxter is going to be brought along in situations that suit him early. So when he goes in the game, uh, I got a little clue for everybody. We're running the ball. <laughs> and uh, as we get him more comfortable and we, we teach him the passing game and, and pass protection, I think you're going to see him get more and more snaps that matter by October. As far as the wide receivers are concerned, this is such a talented room right now. Uh, not that it didn't have a little bit of talent last season, but as you said, it was limited in terms of that depth. Adding A.D. Mitchell is huge, possibly getting Nayor back. Jonte Cook looks like he may be able to contribute as a true freshman. And then, of course, Xavier Worthy and Jordan Whittington. In a perfect world, what do you think the target breakdown looks like for those four most important guys with Worthy, Whittington, Mitchell, and then Jatavian Sanders too, even though technically he's a tight end, obviously? It's going to be dispersed, Trey. Uh, I think you could actually have JT Sanders catch fewer balls this year, but those balls might be more productive. In other words, more yards per catch, more touchdowns. Same for Jordan Whittington. I don't know that he's going to catch 50 this year, assuming everyone's healthy. But he can still be a big asset, being a terrific blocker on the edge and also catching 40, 45 balls. A.D. Mitchell, I mean, you obviously want to feed that guy, but I'm also comfortable putting him in a rotation with Nayor if you have the opportunity or get them both out on the field at the same time and see if you can sort of play with the long view in mind of let's keep this guy healthy, not just for games, games one through three, but games one through potentially 14 or 15, if you're feeling very optimistic. So I think there's a lot of, of your question. I'm dodging it because the answer is, I don't know yeah. all of these. I mean, if, if you told me AD Mitchell was going to be the leading receiver, I'd nod and shrug. If you told me Xavier worthy was going to catch 85 balls, I'd nod and shrug. Uh, I just, I think if anything's possible, I think the key is it's going to be fairly distributed and it's going to matter game by game. How do you want to guard and defend Texas? What are you going to concede? Obviously, Kelvin Banks is going to get the most attention on a much-improved Texas offensive line. We've seen those baby steps through the first two years that Sark and company have been here. Seems like they have the potential to uh, take another big step this season. But just how big was it 
that uh, not only do they have so many guys returning, but Christian Jones decided to return for that final season of eligibility as well to really shore things up on the right side of the line. Yeah, that's a great point. I think that there's such an interesting uh, combo of tackles, and they're the best big they're the best Big Twelve tackle duo that there is mm-hmm. by a mile. Uh, they, they could. I'm interested to see sort of how they rank nationally as the season progresses. But Kelvin Banks come in as, comes in as a left tackle, true freshman starter. That's typically a disaster for your football team. And he was the best offensive lineman on the team, the best pass protector. He's going to come along as a run blocker as he gets stronger. Uh, this guy's freaking 18 years old, and he's stoning first-round NFL draft pick edge rushers like Felix Onaduke Azamoa, Will Anderson, Will McDonald. I mean, unbelievable. I mean, I'd be hard-pressed to find a more impressive freshman offensive lineman, and he's only going to get better. Christian Jones, by contrast, he took a while. Uh, he got pressed into action before he was frankly ready or should have been playing, and he had a rough uh, patch there for a couple of years, giving up pressures, giving up sacks, really struggling. But he really proved last year that if you stick with it, players can improve, and Christian Jones improved markedly. I think his sixth season, he's not done improving. I think he's going to be the best Christian Jones we've ever seen. I think we have the best pair of tackles in the Big 12, and that's such a huge asset for an offense that wants to throw the ball around. Are you concerned at all about the interior of the line? I am. Uh, Not so much that they are replacement level in terms of performance, but I'm looking for a step up from that, right? If Texas wants to meet fully its objectives and its goals in the season – And that is the area you asked me about running back that I'm most concerned about. That's actually the area I'm most concerned about. Mm. Uh, Now they, we do return three starters inside. Uh, Jake majors has started 27 games, very capable pass protector. In fact, one of the best pass protectors at center in the big 12 and also a very smart guy, very good at coordinating, Uh, not as good or adept at run blocking. According to pro football focus, there's a 23 point Delta between his run blocking grade and his pass protecting grade. So if majors can improve as a run blocker, particularly going against the nose, he's pretty good uncovered. Uh, That will be a huge help for this offensive line. And then at guard, you've got Hayden Connor and Cole Hudson. And, you know, they were frankly the the weaker links of that offensive line last year. Uh, Cole Hudson has good reason to be. He was a true freshman pressed, pressed into action. And he played with a bad shoulder the entire season. He had a torn labrum that he had to get surgery on after the year. He, he just gutted it out and played through it. So pretty impressive by that young guy. And then Hayden Connor, the true sophomore, was pressed into action, I think, too early. Uh, needs to do a better job of staying on blocks. And he was a little bit penalty prone. So the good news is players can improve. Look at Christian Jones. Uh, you know, this, this does happen on the offensive line. As they get older, they get better. And I think there's a chance of that for all three of those guys. The interesting thing is who's going to be battling with them and waiting in the wings. You've got DJ Campbell, very well-regarded athlete, who apparently looks like a million bucks, according to people who have seen him at training camp. He's going to be battling for a starting job at guard. And then you got Nato Umeozulu, redshirt freshman, very athletic, a little bit of a nasty streak, not quite as powerful as DJ Campbell, but plenty of athleticism, he's going to be fighting for a starting job. And even if they don't start, I think you're going to see a healthy rotation at guard. I think you're going to see those young guys getting three, 400 snaps over the course of the season. 
other than JT Sanders, who is the most important tight end on this roster and why? Gunnar Helm. Uh, he's established. He's he's done it. He did it last year. He performed at, at adequately. And I think he's still improving. You know, he's 6'5", 250. If you followed him in high school, he was actually a flex tight end, hmm. not an inline blocker. He was kind of a guy that ran down the field and caught jump balls, came to Texas, and we asked him to play a little bit of a different role. And he's adjusting to that. And I think he's doing a good job as tight end number two. One thing to pay attention to, though, Trey, as we transform this offense from last year, Texas was in the top five nationally in 12 personnel. Uh, that's two tight end sets, one running back, two tight ends, two receivers. And about 35% of our snaps were spent in that personnel grouping. That was the most predominant personnel grouping that Sark ran. Sark loves that set. He didn't love it that much. We were in 12 a lot because we had young offensive linemen and having two tight ends helped simplify blocking. We had a young quarterback and tight ends are a nice security blanket for, for quarterbacks. And because our number three receiver wasn't better than our number two tight end. Hmm. Now our number three receiver is better than our number two tight end. <laughs> our number four receiver is better than our number two tight end. Our number five receiver is better than our number two tight end. Uh, I think we're going to see a little more 11 personnel. All right, that is it for the Longhorn offense. Coming up next segment, we're going to dig deep on the Longhorn defense with Paul Wadlington of Inside Texas and the On Texas Football YouTube channel. We are essentially going through his annual Longhorn football preview guide, Thinking Texas Football. You can get the physical copy through Amazon or find the digital copy through Apple Books or Smashwords. Coming up, Longhorn defense with Paul Wadlington. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. Back with Paul Wadlington of Inside Texas and the On Texas Football YouTube channel. He not only contributes at InsideTexas.com regularly and has been doing so for years, but he also puts out an annual Longhorn football preview that is the best in the business. It's called Thinking Texas Football. Grab yourself a hard copy through Amazon or a digital copy through Apple Books or Smashwords. Switching over to the defensive side of the ball now, the uh, Texas defense lost some key guys at all three levels. We'll start on the defensive line. Are you worried about any sort of drop-off there? Because I'm not considering how great a job they've done at building depth over the last several years. I'm not concerned on the interior at all. I would argue that Texas has the deepest defensive tackle room probably in the country. Now, I didn't say the best. I didn't say it's you know four first-round NFL draft picks, but it's four dudes. To give you an example of what I'm talking about, beyond Byron Murphy, Alfred Collins, Devondre Sweat, Trill Carter started 24 games at Minnesota. He was an honorable mention all-Big Ten player there. He played the most snaps of any defensive lineman on their team. He was effectively the anchor of their defense. And Minnesota played pretty good defense last year. Now, playing pretty good defense in the Big Ten, not always the greatest plaudit that you can achieve kind of like being valedictorian of summer school. But that said, he transfers to Texas, and this guy is the number four defensive tackle. I think that tells you all you need to know about the depth at that position. And then you've got really talented freshmen behind those guys. I love that group. Defensive end, a little bit of a different story. Love Baron Sorrell, rugged veteran, great against the run, above average pass pass rusher. And I think he's going to level up again this year from his sophomore year. The question is at the other edge position, if you're playing a four-man front, 
you probably have Ethan Burke as the likely starter right now, but I think there's a pretty lively competition for that job. I think Ethan Burke is going to be very good at Texas, but he's a longer, taller, skinnier guy who needs to put on some upper upper and lower body strength, particularly lower body strength to really hold up an edge and fully tap into his potential. But, you know, he's every bit of six, six, he's long, he's pretty sophisticated. He's very technical for a young guy, a uh, true sophomore. I think he's a year out from being a dude. And so I think Texas will have to, to, to play that other edge position situationally mm. really depends on the offense that we're opposing. We might see some interesting scheming by Pete Kwiatkowski uh, as we play certain teams and we try to monopolize and, and really play to our strengths up front. Yeah, it seems like we're going to see Anthony Hill playing at a couple of different positions when they put him in the game. I'm fascinated to see what he's capable of when they just let him pin his ears back and try and get after the quarterback on some of those obvious passing downs. I'm very suspect of any true freshman linebacker because typically the game moves too fast for them. Uh, it's not a question of athletic ability. It's processing ability. I saw Anthony Hill in the spring and everything that I was promised about him, he over-delivered. Hmm. Uh, he is a different guy. He is an agent of destruction. Point and shoot and uh, stuff's going to break in front of him. And I think that's how Texas is going to use him. I don't think he's a traditional, sophisticated, off-the-ball linebacker. That will come in time. He's not Jalen Ford in that regard. However, line him up somewhere and tell him to go break stuff. And I think Anthony Hill is going to go break a lot of stuff. So I, I am looking forward to seeing that young man running around the field like a maniac and uh, destroying quarterbacks and running backs and blowing up offensive linemen. Yeah, Anthony Hills may be part of the answer in terms of what Texas loses from DeMarvion Overshone going to the NFL, now earning reps for the Dallas Cowboys. How else do you think they try and fill that void with the linebackers that currently exist on the roster? Well, it's nice to fill the void with the guy who should have been the returning defensive player of the year, yeah. Jalen Ford. He was first team all uh, Big 12. Texas defense only forced 14 turnovers last year, which is not good. That's that's a real weakness on what was an improved unit. Jalen Ford was responsible for seven of them. Four I feel like all of those were at the end of the game too, in like huge yes, situations. They all were like they all sealed a game, yeah. right? And four interceptions, three force fumbles. Great off the ball linebacker. Again, players can improve. No one predicted Jalen Ford was going to be that guy. Uh, I think I was optimistic about Jalen Ford, and I. I think I wrote something like he should be a, a very solid starter. And people were saying, oh, whoa, uh, pump the brakes. And of course, he blew that out of the water. So it's kind of nice to start with Jalen Ford to build your linebacker group around. Yeah. Uh, David Benda is the guy that right now is next up. Uh, he's fast. He's quick. He's undersized. He's about 5'11", 225, 230. That's fine. That, that, that's perfectly fine in today's spread offense world. The issue with Benda is not so much athleticism or want to or, or desire for contact. It's just diagnosing plays. And he's really struggled with it over his Longhorn career. If he can Ford that up, no pun intended, if he can Ford up that deficiency like Jalen Ford, uh, Texas will have a not only a more than capable linebacking group, they'll have a, actually a really good linebacking group. Not a lot of depth there. So let's light the appropriate candles at church on Sunday and pray to the appropriate saint for the health of our linebackers. 
It's crazy to think about Jalen Ford's numbers last year, especially when you recall that he missed the first game of the season. Yeah. So that's minus a game, too. But uh, moving on now to the secondary. Uh, The secondary certainly had their ups and downs last year. Young guys forced into action maybe a little bit too early at times. That led to coverage breaks. Having said that, though, there's good opportunities for learning in those moments. And it does seem like Terrence Brooks is another one of those dudes who is primed for a breakout season this year. Do you think when it's all said and done that we will look at this Texas secondary in 2023 as uh, pretty greatly improved from what we saw in 22? I see two potentially elite secondaries in the Big 12 in 2023, TCU Mm. and Texas. Uh, Texas actually has more depth. This is the embarrassment of riches at cornerback is, is real. And there is a lively competition going on out there at corner. Uh, don't pull your hamstring this fall. If you want to play cornerback and, and you're going to sit out for three days because uh, you might get yourself Wally pipped and never see the field again, except, you know, special teams. Uh, I love what we got returning a corner. It's Terrence Brooks and, and Ryan Watts. They actually moved Terrence Brooks from competition with Ryan Watts to now the other side. So now we have the boundary and the field corners. Hmm. We're going to have two of the bigger corners in the Big 12. Uh, Ryan Watts is is very solid against the pass. He's really good supporting the run. Uh, He's a pretty violent, aggressive cornerback. Terrence Brooks just needed to grow. Uh, He busted a couple of coverages last year that I think got particular attention because they were in big games. Uh, but I think what might have gone unnoticed was when he started in the bowl game against Washington, against one of the best receiver cores in the country, uh, really good players. And he played fantastic. And uh, I think that's the trajectory of the developmental curve he's currently on. I think the coaches want that ability out on the field. Gavin Holmes, the transfer from Wake Forest, is apparently really good. Uh, apparently they love him as a press man corner uh, you've got Manny Muhammad uh, coming up as a true freshman who has really impressed people. And then Jade Barron at nickel led the defense in tackles for loss. He is, in, in, in my opinion, arguably the best player in that secondary. Mm. Uh, he is fantastic against the screen game. He's great supporting against the run off the edge. That's one of the more uh, unheralded duties of being a good nickel in the Big 12. And that's coming up hard against the run and, and making a tackle on a running back who might have you by 40 pounds. And Jade Barron does that easily. I also think he's really good as a potential pass protector and pass defender. So I love Jade Barron in the nickel. He's backed up by Jalen Gilbo, who actually started early last year before getting beaten out by Barron and also getting injured. And then safety. You got Jaron Thompson, who I really like. I think he's underappreciated. He's just sort of always where he needs to be, and yeah. he's a good hitter. Uh, good. Yeah, he's, he's one of those nose-for-the-football guys, and that, that's been the case since the first time he set foot on the field for this team. Absolutely. Yeah, he's one of those East Texas dogs who uh, mm-hmm. just seems to have been born understanding football and getting after it. And then you've got the lottery ticket, and that's Jalen Catalan. Look, I'm not counting on Jalen Catalan completing the season injury-free. I, I hate to be that guy. I don't want to be Debbie Downer. Uh, there's too much evidence that he can't finish a year. That said, they say his shoulder's doing great. And Jalen Catalan at full speed is a all-team, I mean, all-American, first-team, all-SEC level player. And if we get that Jalen Catalan, watch out. Uh, The good news is if we don't get that Jalen Catalan, for whatever reason, 
there are options behind them. And Texas is not going to be without other options at safety. I think the coaches are also going to spread the wealth a little bit in terms of those ones snaps. Uh, they know what Jalen Catalan can do. They're going to have guys like BJ Allen and Michael Taff uh, taking snaps with the ones so that if, if Jalen Catalan does have to miss some time, it's not going to be the end of the world. Uh, all in all, the Texas secondary is going to be much improved. The big issue for them is twofold, Trey. One, they've got to force more turnovers. Yeah. They just have to get the ha- their hands on more balls. And if it's knocking guys out and taking the ball as a fumble, great. If it's ball hawking something in the middle of the field and returning an interception, even better. They've got to do something there. And then secondly, they've got to be better on money downs. Third and fourth down, there were some critical games where better third and fourth down defense would have meant the difference in the game and Texas wins. And they did not identify some of those situations the best. Now, in fairness, maybe some of that was personnel-based experience-based. I think this is a more athletic secondary. And I think, frankly, Steve Sarkeesian has told Pete Kwiatkowski in in no small terms that on those money downs, we're going to man up and we are going to blitz and we're going to make them make a throw and not concede a third and six, seven-yard game over the middle of the field. Yes, Paul Wadlington of Inside Texas and the On Texas Football YouTube channel. We are talking about his excellent annual Longhorn Football Preview Guide, Thinking Texas Football. You can get the 2023 edition, a physical copy through Amazon or a digital copy through Apple Books or Smashwords. Coming up, one final segment with Paul where we are going to look at the Longhorn schedule a little bit and some of their opponents as well as Paul's prediction as to what he thinks Texas football is capable of this coming season. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. Final segment with Paul Wadlington of Inside Texas and the On Texas Football YouTube channel. All hour we have been discussing his excellent annual Longhorn Football Preview, Thinking Texas Football. You can get your 2023 edition now, a physical copy through Amazon or a digital copy through Apple Books or Smashwords. All right, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the upcoming schedule this year, Paul. Uh, not that we're all overlooking game one of the season, but we're all kind of looking uh, overlooking game one of the season. Texas hosting Rice, 230 on Fox, which I don't feel great about just because of how hot it's going to be in the stands. But week two is the one that we all have circled right now. Vegas has Alabama in Tuscaloosa as a seven-point favorite over the Longhorns. But it does seem like there is an opportunity here for the Longhorns to pull off an upset because of the returning talent on Texas side of the ball. And Alabama, yes, they're replacing stars with other potential stars. They do have some key guys that are no longer a part of this year's roster. Uh, I don't want to put percentages on it because I know you hate uh, the prediction game, but what does Texas need to do to go into Alabama and win that game week two? Yeah, you mentioned the the six-and-a-half-point line now. Uh, When it came out, it was eight-and-a-half points. And I may or may not have engaged in legal betting on that line uh, heavily. (laughs) I used Hunter Deckers. He's my bookie. Uh, (laughs) But, yeah, I, I, I think this game is a coin flip. And I think part of that, look, since Nick Saban's been at Bama, their record at home is 84 and five. 
They've had a couple of upsets, Good Lord. but they've also lost games to outstanding football teams. In other words, you know, one of those losses is 2019 LSU, mm. which is arguably the greatest college football offense that, ever, that has ever existed. Yep. So that's the quality of team that has gone into Tuscaloosa and won those games. That said, if you play Bama, play them early. Because I think they're unsettled at quarterback. You know, obviously, they're going to be choosing between Jalen Milroe. They're choosing between, you know, Buckner. And now apparently Ty Simpson is legitimately in that mix. So, you know, if you want to play a team with a little bit of unrest at quarterback, get them in the second game. And sometimes that home crowd can actually play a little bit against you. Mm. If your quarterback comes out and he's throwing balls in the turf and throws an early pick and you can get a little panic, you know, Alabama, not exactly known for panic historically, uh, that's a pretty steady Eddie football team uh, with a lot of skins on the wall. But I think this is an ideal time for Texas to get them. I will say this. I do think there are some prognosticators overplaying the quarterback issue a little bit. Mm. Alabama is going to have really good players on the offensive line and on the defensive line. They've restocked and reloaded there. Uh, they've also got a bunch of Alabama players playing the other positions and you know, I hate to break this to everyone, but they replace first round NFL draft picks with first round NFL draft picks. So let's not get carried away that, you know, Alabama's on their descent and Texas is going to go in there. The goal is for us to win on a last second field goal, but none other than Burt Auburn. Once again, Auburn upsetting Alabama. Lou Groza watch list, Burt Auburn, although I think every cooker, uh, every kicker in college football is on that watch list right now. And yeah, you're, you're probably right. Nick Saban understands what the uncertainty at quarterback can bring. So what he's probably going to do is return to that old school form where they are running the football a little bit more and not trying to force spreading around through the passing attack, attack nearly as much, especially early in the season. Yeah, Bryce Young is gone. Yeah. And Frankly, Bryce Young was their win mode last year, and he he pulled their bacon out of the fire more than once, including in Austin. So I think that's going to be a gap for them. I hope we craft a game plan accordingly and put some pressure on them early because getting them to have to throw the ball, you know, facing, say, a 10 or 14 point deficit, that could change the dynamics of the game and, and make it pretty interesting for Texas. What do you think the most difficult conference game is on this schedule right now? You know, I don't think they're necessarily the second best team in the Big 12. A lot remains to be seen. But OU is just always a hard game because it's it's OU. And I've watched enough Texas football to watch really bad Texas football teams beat really good OU teams. And I've seen awful OU teams either beat or tie a good or at least above average Texas football team. And I've seen everything in between. I've seen evenly matched teams blow each other out. I've seen evenly matched teams, you know, one doesn't even show up to the stadium that day and it's humiliating. Sometimes that that was Texas more often (laughs) than not. Uh, And then I've seen, you know, Texas roll out with a five and seven football team with Gerard Hurd at quarterback, you know, roll over, an OU team that had one other loss and, you know, was a playoff team. So you never know what's going to happen. And I do think OU will be improved. I think what's interesting, Trey, is I think actually the matchups that Texas has 
with some of the better teams that I expect to be good. And I get into this in depth in my thinking Texas football preview. I think Texas has good matchups with Kansas state and we get them at home. I think Texas has pretty good matchups with Texas tech. I think Texas has good matchups with TCU. So I think beyond the fact that they're more obviously going to be the better teams in the league, I think Texas just matches up well with them. And then in terms of just aggregate talent, I think Texas is probably better uh, on any given Saturday. All right, last question now, Paul. And I want to remind people that this is August 3rd, so a lot can happen between now and then. Uh-oh. You and I are both Texas Longhorn football fans, so I want your prediction right now. Does Texas either win a regular season or conference championship game crown in their last year in the Big 12? And do we find ourselves rooting for the Longhorns in the college football playoff a little bit later in December? A two-part question, Trey. Yes. Uh, one, Texas is going to win the Big 12. They are my odds-on favorite, okay? Nothing is guaranteed. And people say, oh, it's a crapshoot. That's actually the correct analogy. When you throw craps, certain dice combinations are more likely, right? Yeah. Texas is betting on six, seven, and eight. Everyone else is betting on boxcars or snake eyes or four. Okay. What what a brilliant, brilliant way you just turned the crapshoot uh, cliche into something relevant. Bravo, sir. Well, thank you. And to continue the Las Vegas uh, analogy portion, Texas opened in May at plus 160 to win the Big 12. Mm. Plus 160 if you're a non-gambler, if you're just a good up, upright person and not a degenerate like me or Trey. Uh, plus 160 means if you bet $10, you'll win $16. So you'll get 26 bucks right from your original 10 uh, or 26. You get your 10 returned and an extra 16. Mm-hmm. It's currently minus 143. Oh, at wow. So what that means is if you bet $10 on Texas to win the big 12, you're only going to win seven. What they're basically saying is Texas is favored over the entire field of the Big 12, substantially. So you can accuse me of being burnt orange glasses, longhorn homer. If you read my previews and prior previews, you'll realize that I'm definitely not. Um, I'm usually the guy that that brings the the reality. Uh, But the objective empirical truth of the people who get paid to do this and get punished when they're wrong, Las Vegas, they say Texas is going to win the Big 12. So who am I to argue? As for the college football playoff, a little more perilous there because that really depends on the game in Bama, right? Yeah. Texas needs to win that game to stake their claim, not only because it gives you, I think, an element of credibility, because Alabama is one of your main rivals for that other playoff spot. Mm-hmm. Take them off the board. Uh, I think you've got a Big 10 and an SEC that are going to argue very strongly that they deserve two or three of the four spots. And then I think you have Clemson and USC that are going to be vying for the at-large bids. And and that's where Texas will be competing if they win the Big 12. So if Texas wins the Big 12 undefeated, hey, we're in the playoff, baby. Book your hotel room. Uh, If Texas does it with two losses, things get a little more interesting there. And there's certainly no assurance of a playoff berth. So I hate to give you the, the it depends answer, but it just depends. It always does depend. That's why we, uh, we love talking about the nuance of things. I think USC is probably the, 
don't want to say most assured, but I have them as the strongest possibility of making the playoff in their final year in the Pac-12. But obviously, you'd be a fool not to select either Bama or Georgia and then Ohio State too. But I think USC's path is a little bit easier than those other two schools. But for Texas, if they win that Alabama game, it also gives you the tiniest bit of wiggle room with regards to to, uh, to having one slip away from you in conference play, uh, if that were to happen too. That's 100% right, Trey. In fact, Bama is a, is a get-out-of-jail-free card for a conference loss. Right. And, and frankly, if you just run the percentages – one conference loss is the most likely outcome, I think, for this Texas team. Uh, probably right behind that would be two. And then right behind that would be zero. So, uh, yeah, if, if you beat Bama, you can you can uh, have a little blow up and re- reorient and get back and, and finish out strong, and no one's going to really hold it against you. He is Paul Wadlington. Been doing a great job for so long, writing about the Texas Longhorns for Inside Texas. Now talking about it at the On Texas Football YouTube channel. And he puts out an annual preview that does a great job of breaking down the Longhorns roster, their opponents, and college football topics in general. It is called Thinking Texas Football. You can get the physical copy through Amazon or the digital copy through Apple or smash words. Paul, my friend, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for the time today. And thanks once again for helping to enlighten and inform Longhorn fans heading into the season. Thank you, Trey. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening tonight. We'll be back tomorrow at 10. In the meantime, have yourselves a great rest of the evening and sweet dreams. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elliott.